Welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking about the Master Gardening Program with Tia Salvesi. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and Annie Ellis, and Irene is working the telephone calls. <laughs> She's taking the calls anyway, and isn't she? Greg is working the board. So yes, thank you, Greg. Happy. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2024. We're excited to have lots of great uh, programming for you this year. Annie and I have the next three months booked. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, how fast that goes. We try to stay on top of it. It takes a lot of effort, I got to tell y'all, because sometimes we have to go back and forth, I don't know, 10 times even sometimes. Yep. I know, Tia, I think we had to go a few times, right? <laughs> and Tia is live in the studio. I'm persistent. <laughs> we're, which we're excited about. Yes, and, very much uh, so. I learned a sustainable skill over the oh, break. Oh, very good. What was it? I learned how to use a sewing machine. Oh, you're kidding. You did, I'm surprised you didn't know how. And That's amazing, Kenny. I have made. What'd you sew? Yeah. 40 Carnivorous plant stuffed animals. Oh my gosh. See, and in you, February, if, I'm going to be making a dress shirt. If you go one way, you go all the way, don't you? <laughs> You're, no, you are so great. The, the coolest part is that I'm actually le- I'm borrowing the sewing machine from a friend. Right. I gave them three dozen duck eggs, but they said, oh, you can, you know, borrow this indefinitely. Dang, that was a we good have, deal on their part. Yeah, we have uh, two or three other uh, sewing machines. Right. And then um, a lot of I had another person help me, and then I had another person, you know, tell me, like, oh, this pattern, blah, blah, blah. And uh, every, everybody said, oh, that's very ambitious for somebody who has never sewn anything. Right, but you have really good hand-eye coordination, and you're patient. And I think that those are the keys with sewing, you know. I remember using my grandmother's treadle sewing machine to sew doll, uh, sew doll clothes, and it was a foot pedal uh, that I used when I was, I don't know, six so, you know, it just takes time. That's, I'm so proud of you. That's and, fantastic. I know. I'm, I'm excited, too. And yeah. I used Google to learn about the bobbin and threading the machine. Oh, yeah. And uh, my, one of the friends said, you know, people have been doing this for like 100 years. So you'll be At able least. to. Yeah, you'll be able. Well, the machine. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be able to figure it out. So Yeah. And the thing is, is what will happen is that you'll start your, the tension. That's the problem. And if you know about that, there's a tension for the bobbin. I, it, I've probably sewed. 40 hours so far. But but once it starts wadding up in there when mm-hmm. it's off, that's the frustration level. So I've had to I change. will not even say that that happens because knock on wood, <laughs> it will never happen to you. I've had to refill the bobbin three times. That's how much I've been sewing. I am amazed. <laughs> did, you cut out, did you cut out your own patterns or did you get Absolutely. a pre-plattering thing? No. So God. you got a drawing of a thing and yeah. then you got the fabric and then you cut mm-hmm. out the pattern and then you're stuffing it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I want one. And in addition to stuffing I it, totally I'm, want one. I'm putting a little pipe cleaner skeletons in it oh. so you can oh, bend yeah. them and mold them. Uh, arm, armature. Yeah, yes. armature in there. That's fantastic. Aren't you something? And You I'm, amaze me I'm, every I'm day. I'm going to make a dress shirt in uh, February. You're going to wear a dress? No, I'm going to no. make <laughs> Annie just, Ellis. I had to say it. <laughs> You can really get that's a, that's a very big undertaking. I think that's easy. 
No, it's not. <laughs> because, two, two fat pieces of fabric for the sleeve, well, front. Dress front. shirt, that depends on how you mean, because there's a lot of uh, uh, laying down. A button. Well, not just a, button. A button, a button. Yeah, button um, holes or a trip. And then, uh, and then also you have to lay down the placket in the front with seams. <laughs> but, you know, you'll figure it out because you're brilliant. <laughs> That's wonderful. Very exciting. You know, I have been planting a lot of seeds, even though I'm going to move and stuff sooner or later. Uh, and they were all, just about all of them came up, even in this weather. So, you know, you guys, if you're interested, I, I've been reading some things and people say, is it too late to plant? And I'm like, no, just do what, you know, try it. What do you have to lose? A hundred percent of not trying would be a failure. <laughs> That's true. You know? So if you just give it a shot, it, you know, don't waste your seeds, of course. Just use a few and see what happens. And then if it works, then go for it, you know. I'm, uh, I overuse seeds. That's why I said that, because I tend to get excited and put in a hundred of one plant. I think since <laughs> I the, give them all away. Since the last time we did our show, yeah? I uh, broadcasted probably five packets of lettuce mixes, broccolis, collards, Brussels oh, sprouts. and. Uh, I think I talked about this last year, wasabi radishes. Yes. So it's a radish, but it has pink and green on the inside. And it tastes the rainbow. Like, it tastes like a wasabi. A watermelon, isn't it? Isn't it the watermelon radish? Mm, no, this one's a spicy oh, okay. one, yeah. Okay. But I've seen those beautiful. And I, beautiful, I'm also okay. trying beets, but I think they're a little harder than radishes. I don't know. I've not grown. What's that, Tia? Radishes are the Radishes are the easiest thing. In fact, anytime anybody wants to talk about like with their children, they want to get them involved, I always say, plant some radish seeds because it's an instant gratification. They get so excited and so satisfied right away. You know, we should probably introduce, did you want to, intro, you want to talk about the thing that you're going to be talking at uh, uh, in Manatee? We'll do it at the end. Okay. Okay. All right. When I'm prepared. Well, yes. Yeah, so we've <laughs> got to get him ready. So uh, I just wanted to let everybody know about Tia. Uh, Tia Savesi, and she got her agricultural roots from growing up at her grandparents' farm in Pennsylvania. She's been working in the horticulture field for over 30 years. She received her undergraduate degree from the University of Central Florida and her master's degree from the University of Hawaii. This is what got me interested in you, <laughs> amongst finding out all the other stuff. Yeah, Hawaii? Uh, yes. Tia is a residential horticulture agent and master gardener volunteer coordinator at UF at IFAS Extension Hillsborough County, which I didn't even know that that existed, that position. So that's cool. Yeah, Hawaii, I used to live there. Oh, cool. And so when I saw that you went there to actually do your master's, I mean, what brought that on to, to do that? How did that occur for you? I mean, mainly I like to surf and snorkel. Yeah, well, that's a that's a given. Right? But the agriculture in Hawaii is gorgeous, amazing. amazing. Yes. Stick a stick in the ground, it grows. The volcanic soil, everything yes. grows, and uh, all the different crops they have, like the breadfruit and the taro and the sugar cane and sweet potato. It's just really amazing. That breadfruit leaf is the prettiest thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's it? beautiful. That's a very common pattern that they use in the Hawaiian quilting is that tar mm -hmm. or that breadfruit leaf. So pretty. So let's go back to what Annie was saying. Uh, Tia, you're the Master Gardening Volunteer Coordinator, and Annie didn't know that was a position. Yes. Was that position empty for a while or? Uh, yeah, about a year, maybe a year and a half. They were looking for the perfect person. Previously, it was Nicole Pinson, and she did a great job. She's still doing gardening stuff here at the Tampa Family Health Centers. That's nice. And before the show, T and I were talking about one of my favorite things that the extension uh, offers is those library talks. 
And all they, the ones they, you used to go to all the time. Every month. Yeah. And I would I would do the circuit. Monday, first Monday of every month, I would go to this library. Yeah. Second Tuesday of every month, I would go to this library. And they'd have a different speaker at each library. Yeah, each. Yeah. So, Tia, why don't you tell us what used yeah, to happen and, cool. and what's happening now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, back in the day, like before COVID, the yeah, Master Gardener, day. we have a speakers bureau. And so there are Master Gardeners who are knowledgeable about some topic and they just give a presentation. So in the libraries, we used to have a coordinator for every single library and they would do a monthly talk at each library. And then COVID happened. And so now we're restarting the in-person and also doing it on Zoom. So we're going to be starting in April. So look for us in the libraries then. Are you going to be doing a cross show? Like, will it be Zoom and in-person? It will be separate. Okay. So it'll either be a Zoom show or uh, in person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. I've, I actually went to some of those Zoom ones, uh, but I've only been to one of the in-person uh, library, but it was fun. It yeah. really is fun. Yeah, we're still figuring out the new normal, like do right. people want Zoom? Do they want in-person? Should we do it hybrid? You know, I love a hybrid. Yeah, it's just <laughs> more complicated. Like. It is complicated. It's, yeah. And it's never perfect for either one. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like you have to give a lot for each one. And also since the last time we have uh, did the show, because we were off on Christmas Day I know, and, and, New and New Year's, Year's. Um, I attended, let's say, an hour uh, webinar on compost from oh, the city. Good. And they said... From the be- city of Tampa? Yep. Oh. And they said because of uh, the holiday, you'll get your compost bin in like 14 to 21 days. Three days later, front door, brand new compost bin. How lovely. And uh, all you have to do is you have to type in your zip code. So this was like within the city limits, but extension offices and maybe wherever county or city you live in, you should look it up because um, I, I was putting in quotes that the webinar was an hour. It was 20 minutes and you have to attend it. And they just say, um, you know, this is how compost works. And then uh, you have to sign a thing saying, if you ever move, you have to return your compost. Okay. Bag. So this is not something that they pick up your compost and then give you something in return. This like is the, the, this is so the they, three foot tall bin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's like when they give you a water uh, catching thing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, what kind of bin did they give you? Do you know the brand name? It's, um, Does it's, it have a lid on it? It has a lid on like it lid and it has ones. a little door on the bottom. Oh, okay. And Those it's going to be nice. three, two and a half feet tall, three feet tall, sits on the ground. Yeah, like a standard black plastic one. Yeah. yeah. Those and are then, the kind I have at home. And then I was going, I did my little walk around the golf course this morning and I saw two other people had this them? because it has this huge sticker. Oh, very good. But then I also saw somebody who had like a tumbler. Yeah. Which... Wasn't from the the course, but you know it was nice. That it I saw nice. people uh, composting. They're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's doing. You know, that's interesting. One of the things I learned from uh, having my own that are like that with the lid and the the doors and stuff is that you put a uh, chicken wire underneath it and put it up to the edge of keep the rats from coming in below. Yeah, keep so it does up. help deter them a little bit. The first couple of days, I was throwing. I used to throw my compost just on the yard. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> but, do. But then I started I mean, putting, know. then I got this bin, so I started putting yeah. in the bin. Or they, or they dig a hole and bury it, yeah. The first three days, the lid on the ground was open, oh. and all of my stuff was gone, even though I used to be freely throwing around the eggshells and stuff like right. that. And then my two doors down neighbor, they put out seven bags of leaves, 
So I've got all of them. Yeah. Two of them went inside the compost, and then the other five went around the compost. Oh, and that's n- a good idea. Be- because that's what actually was in the class. They said, you know, in the beginning, you might need to bury your food scraps in the leaves, in the compost. Right, to kind of deter the smell and get them away and, from that area. And we have not had a problem since. Oh, that's oh. very cool. That's good. Yeah. So would- at the county extension office, so if you live in unincorporated Hillsborough County, then you can come to our composting workshop we do it every first Saturday of the month, and it's $5, and you get a container called a geo bin. Oh, you that's that, the geo that bin? soft plastic one that wraps? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like recycled. UV I got one of those one time. Plastic. I never yeah. used it. I gave it to somebody else just because I like to have the hard lid to keep mm-hmm. the uh, rodents out. Yeah, it's kind of one way or the other. Yeah. The, the soft plastic one, the good thing about not having a lid is then you get the rainfall. Because it's right. good to have some moisture in the compost bin. Right. Well, you know that's a that's a good point. I uh, I do add a little water now and then, but mm-hmm. it does have it does have slats. Yeah. So I don't know. I'll have to look into that. It's a good point. Yeah. Well, that's what unincorporated Hillsborough County residents can get for five dollars. And Tia, for that um, that composting workshop, is it paired up with the rain? Water yeah. class mm-hmm. and something yeah. else? They, oh, there's like the, more than one? The triple oh. workshop. Oh, wow. Okay. Composting, rainwater, and micro-irrigation. Wow, that sounds like a good big win. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, you can attend all three. And so, because you have it once a month, does that mean it's super popular? Um, or, or, sells out. Or, yeah, well, or a lot well of people attended. have taken the class, and once you get the incentive items, we don't let you like retake it. Yeah, it's it only and, a one-time thing, isn't it? So you kind of get on this list, and we have <laughs> to vet everybody. Right. Right, because people would sell them online. Oh. <laughs> uh, once a month, that seems, uh, that's nice. Yeah, Every first is. Saturday. That's very good. So I wanted to ask you about the Master Gardener program, because I was when I was reading up on what all you were doing, you guys were like planting a lot of stuff everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. So I wanted to just let you, you know, explain what is that and how do people get on board with that? Yeah, well, the benefit about becoming a Master Gardener volunteer is that you're under the umbrella of the University of Florida IFAS, which is the Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. So we have all these, you know, top-notch researchers up in Gainesville that we, as like local extension agents, we get that information from, and then we pass that on to the Master Gardener volunteers, and then they go out into the community and, and teach classes and answer questions and give that information out to the general public. So if you want to become a Master Gardener volunteer, you sign up for the class. We have it every other year in the fall. And it's like a 100-hour class, 10-week long, where you study you know, from myself and the other experts in the field, and then you become a certified volunteer. And then you can start with your volunteer service. But everything we do revolves around that science-based horticultural information. That's great. Then it's not that passed on old wives' tale situation. So you're also getting the latest and the greatest information because it's right off the the presses from those guys. Oh, yeah, exactly. And just kind of passing it on down because this is very important information, like yeah. very relevant things that everybody's using every day, you yeah. know, like how to compost. Or today there was an article that came out about Brazilian pepper control. Because we've been getting a lot of local organizations, they say, hey, we want to take over our park. We want to clear the Brazilian pepper. So this document like shows you how to do it. That's great because that's a dangerous thing to clear out if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I know. It's in the poison ivy family. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. People get. I didn't know that either, but I'm not surprised. People are very affected by it. A lot yeah. of people anyway. 
I'm not allergic to poison ivy. Isn't that weird? Oh, that's great. I know. <laughs> I can just rub all over it. You can send Annie out there to yeah, remove just it. Pack that stuff back. No problem. <laughs> So it's uh, the year 2024, but your next class isn't until 2025. That's Can you correct. talk a bit about the types of people who turn in to be volunteers? Do they, do they all have to be retired? Because I would love to be a master gardener. I was turned down. Oh, uh, that, Tia, tell us. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I was a professional. Oh, well, there are they not like really any requirements other yeah. than you have an interest in gardening. And secondly, you have an interest in serving the public as a volunteer. A lot of people just want to take the class for their own personal reasons. Like I want to learn everything about gardening, but they don't really want to give back. So we really look for people with that volunteer ethic. Yeah. But we do accept professionals. You know, now we currently have some master gardener volunteers who are completely virtual. Yeah. They never even come into our office. They're helping with administration stuff, you know, marketing, writing, publications, like behind the scenes. To be fair, it was 25 years ago. Okay. And, and also, what because there was no online thing then, right? But then um, uh, what happened was that there had been a girl that had done it, and she was a professional, and she was wearing her badge when she would go woo customers, and that's illegal. Yeah, you, you cannot only do that. wear one hat at a time. Yeah, you cannot promote yourself as a master gardener, as a professional. It's against the rules from 1900. I mean, right. it goes back a long way, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been around for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's amazing. To Can me. you yeah. talk to us about the types of things that they're volunteering to do? Yeah, well, like our last class, we had it every Wednesday in the fall from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. So, you know, if you have the flexibility in your schedule to take those 10 Wednesdays off of work, you know, then that's good. Once you graduate, like as a certified Master Gardener volunteer, um, we have just tons of different activities. Some of the main ones are working at our help desk, and that can be in the office. It can be our remote help desk where you're answering people's emails oh, very good. from the comfort of your own home. And we get all kinds of questions like, oh, can you identify this plant or what's eating my tomato plant? You know, I love that stuff. Like plant ID, <laughs> insect ID. That's my favorite thing in the world. Disease. <laughs> and just like, hey, I have a pool. What would be good to plant around my swimming pool? Yeah. Or I want to get started with vegetable gardening. Like what, what do I plant when, where? Now you also, though, I noted that you guys are going and planting areas. You did the extension office, which I was thrilled to see because there were some invasive plants in there. And y'all took all that out and redid it. Yeah, we've been kind of on a um, native plant biodiversity kick. I mean, one thing about 2024, native plants are in. They came to the surface, like, didn't they? People love native plants. And uh, one of our demonstration gardens is at Lake Lettuce Conservation yes. Park. And when you go to that garden and look at that garden, you will see birds, I butterflies. I was there a month ago and yeah. I mentioned it on the show. Yep. With, and it's also like paired up with like the Tampa Audubon bird yeah. feeders. Mm -hmm. And the Native Plant Society yep. Suncoast chapter. Yeah, See, so that's the just, way to go, right? All mixed up together. Oh, so exactly. Help each other. Yeah, that's creating wonderful. partnerships. Yes. And so we have another um, native plant butterfly garden at Carrollwood Village Park, kind of north, north Tampa That was area. another one I think I saw that y'all were planting, right? Right. So, so that's, that's what's so great is that you get these people, they learn all this stuff, and then they physically volunteer to do these installs for the general public can see it. I mean, what a win-win yeah. situation. We, we've really partnered up with the parks because we're getting like very high visibility, like Lettuce Lake, Carrollwood Park. 
they both get over 1 million visitors per year. And so this is how we can really make change in the community is people, you know, normal people go, you know, for a walk in the park and then they come home and they say, hey, I saw that butterfly eating that plant there. I'm going to plant that in my yard. Right. That's what we're really aiming for. That's wonderful. I want to reintroduce everything. I don't even know if we introduced to begin with. I'm not sure. But uh, you're listening to The Sustainable Living Show coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Today, we're talking with the Master Gardening Program uh, with Tia Salvesi. If you want to be part of this conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. There is a, another line. Where is that? The Let's see. Um, live radio. Uh, it's. I believe that you can... No, I don't have it. Never mind. I was going to give you the text number, but I, I, it's too far for me to read. <laughs> It's like we're at the eye doctors. Yeah, exactly. Can you see the E? (laughs) Yes, I can see the E, but I can't see it anymore. Is that the text? Okay. So, uh, Tia, do you... I can read that. Hang on one second. It's 813-23... The bottom one? 813-433-0885. That's 813-433-0885. That's the text line. Thank you, Greg. He's over there doing sign language. Or you can email us or you can uh, text us or you can call us. Yeah, we'd love to hear where you call. That would be great. So, Tia, with your background or where you are at now, are you more just personally into natives or edibles or pollinator plants or... Um, that's a good question. You know, like I grew up on my grandma's farm and that's where I got into plants and growing things. And she grew red raspberries that I would just go and eat right off the bush. And I would pull the carrots up out of the ground. That's so exciting. That, that had me sold when I was like five years old. And so I was pretty much into, um, vegetable gardening, edible, like fruit trees. I got into permaculture. Um, but then the native plants are very important too, and they're they're very low maintenance. Like if you've ever grown even like a tomato plant, it's kind of high maintenance. You have to water it and feed it and take care of the pests and diseases. So I just grow enough edibles for me to eat and manage, and then everything else I try to do like native plant pollinator gardens because they're very low maintenance. I find that the when you have the natives, you they're used to living here and then they're contributing to the insect population as well as the bird population because it is native, which is what these native animals and insects need. And I also find that having those native plants that I have a lot less pest problems in my edibles because then it becomes a natural circle to where you know, the ladybugs come or the, the uh, lace wings or, you know, different odds and ends come in uh, and they take care of it because they're happy with all the natives. Oh, yeah. I'm big into that concept of like ecological landscaping where you're you're using the beneficial insects to help with your edibles and you work towards like minimal spraying or fertilizer or, or zero watering. Spraying. Like inputs, you know, just minimize all the imports and have more like a closed loop type of, you know, landscape, sustainable landscape. Yeah, I love it. Yesterday, yesterday, Ryan and I went to the grocery store and he got this huge tub of greens and lettuce and I made him put it back. Why? Because we have a garden filled with greens oh gosh i went to a i went to a a party the other day and it was a dinner party and uh my friend is a gardener and so she has these great salads 
so I made this giant salad. I wanted to contribute, so I made this big salad for the meal. It was actually Christmas Eve. And um, I, uh, she had mentioned to me that uh, sev- several members of her family won't eat that weed salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is you know the, the, the greens grown in the in the uh, yard. They won't eat it. In fact, some of the people just think it's weird. Uh, if anything that is in the yard, it doesn't come from the grocery store. It's not edible. I mean, it's the weirdest thing to me. Yeah, strange concept. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan was like, well, are you going to wash the leaves and prepare it for me? <laughs> yeah, we'll spray it with some major poison for you. <laughs> That's well, so funny. You, you know, you buy you can buy a giant tub of greens. Yes, for cheap. But well, the, it depends on if they're organic yeah, but and then, where they come from. And what so we usually do is we put like a paper towel in there. But if you mm-hmm. harvest a huge colander of your greens from your yard, rinse them all together, mm-hmm. put some uh, paper towels, put it in a Ziploc bag or like a container inside your fridge, that also lasts a week. It stays a long time because it's so fresh. Mm-hmm. Because now the other stuff that you're getting from, you know, the, the grocery stores or whatever, they're not being picked that morning or the night before. Like I go, you know, to Jim Kovaleski and, and Tanner's uh, over at the Freedom Farm and I buy a CSA and they do their lettuces the night before. So, you know, they stay in my container. Well, if they last that long, they'll stay for two weeks. But they don't usually last that long. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just like to harvest them and then cook Eat them up then. right away. You know, right. like, what are we having for dinner? Exactly. Okay. Let me go see what's in the garden mm-hmm. today. And that's what we're having for dinner. Now, now cool. is the season for greens, like leafy greens. Yeah. You should be harvesting kale, collards, lead, broccoli, mm-hmm. you know. But um, also now's the time to plant your tomato seeds for the spring. I sowed them. <laughs> I See, did mine yesterday. You sewed in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sewing in the past two weeks. I love that. Now, on the package of a tomato or a pepper seed, it says they like to be germinated, I think, like 75 to 90 degrees. Yeah, they do like it warmer. So if you have a little heat mat or something, but I just kind of let Heat mat in Florida? People actually use that? Well, it's, I guess Jan- up in it's January. Oh, it's cold. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, some of my stuff hasn't sprouted. Mm-hmm. I have it in a seed start tray. I have a big, like on legs, waist high, big thing. And um, But are you doing peppers and uh, tomatoes? No, like- I'm not because I was thinking the same thing. I didn't do peppers or tomatoes. Plus, I'm going to move. So I was going to do the short-term stuff that I would be eating right away. Yeah, quick so, and easy. You know, somebody yeah. knocked on my door and wants to buy my house. Well, uh, there you go. Seriously. <laughs> they were looking at a house down the street, and they said uh, they walked the guy knocked on my door and bold. I love that in human, you know. And uh, all right, Annie, we're talking about. I know, but I just want to finish. <laughs> so then they said they love the house, and so I was like, "Okay, are you asking me if my house is for sale?" Yes, it is. And so then I started. I started working in my yard more, which is so funny. But so, yes, we're back to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Tia, um, I was also thinking because you got to start your peppers in. You have to start a lot of vegetables like eight weeks before, yes. 12 weeks before, right? Yes. So eight weeks from now, it's going to be nice weather. That's exactly. right. And to me, like that target date is February 15th when we don't really expect to get anymore. It could be March So that's 1st. when you would start things? That's or? when I want them to be ready to transplant in the yard. Oh, okay. So after you've yeah. done the seed deal, then the, the, the baby plants are ready to go. Exactly. So if it's cold outside, how are you managing that? I mean... Uh, I don't worry too much about the cold. If it goes below 45 degrees at night, I'll put the seed tray in the house. Little, but other okay. than that, I let them be outside. The more thing is like that they have good direct sunlight. Yes. They can get strong. Yes. And then they are accustomed to what's going on outside. Yeah. If you have a heating mat or the little greenhouse lid, that's even better. But I don't have that stuff. Yeah. So. About two days ago when it really poured, 
the temperature went above like 75 degrees and tomorrow it's going to rain and it's also going to be higher than like 75 degrees. It is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it because it's cool at parts of the day and then it's warmer at later times and we're getting rain, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah, this is very strange, like rainy winter we're getting here. It's nice though. I'm really loving it. As a matter of fact, I was wondering, I was thinking yesterday, I was like, when is it really cold here? Is it is it January end of January and February is when we usually get our cold? It's, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I uh, s- planted little onion bulbs for the first time. Cool. Any what was it a good time for me to do oh, that? Asking now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The winter is a good time. <laughs> a lot of people plant them the same time they plant the strawberries around like October. Mm-hmm. I would think that any kind of root thing would be best in the winter. winter. I mean, that's when trees are supposed to be planted because they're working on their roots more than anything else. So I would think that that would run through the same for all roots, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, root crops are good in the winter. They can take the cold. Yeah, it's below ground. And like Annie was mentioning, she... She's pretty uh, liberal with her seed. I am a little too liberal. Well, that's what I did with my radishes. Yeah. And because I'm so frugal, you know, radishes, you could get like a thousand for a dollar. I I transplanted my radish after they came up. No, I do that too. (laughs) And I say that I'm I'm crazy with it. I I pull, I don't, uh, I don't thin and throw away. I just can't. That hurts me. So I do exactly what you do. (laughs) I move it around to wherever I want them or I'll put them in some pots and give them to some friends. So that's good. You know, I I didn't get a ruler out, but I was like, everyone is going to be one inch by one inch because they're just little radishes. I bet you did get a ruler (laughs) out. And if you don't thin them out, they- The ruler in your head. They don't turn out as good. (laughs) No, they don't. You need space. That's they for sure. That space. <laughs> yeah, uh, at, uh, tell us where you are in Suffner. Um, so. We're right on the corner of Hillsboro Avenue and 579. So you'll see the extension office right there. And we have a lot of classes there too. The The next class I'm personally going to teach is vegetable gardening. Oh, perfect. You know, when, when, when is that? It's the first, uh, the um, February 15th at 10 a.m. Okay. And you can sign up on the Hillsborough County Extension Eventbrite page. This reminds me of all the things that I've been reading lately is all these people that are new to Florida and they go, it's not like it was there. You know, I can do all these things. And and so if people are new to Florida, these would be really good for things to do. So if they've just moved here, what do they need to know to be successful in their gardening? Yeah, well, first of all, our season here in Florida is kind of flipped. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing vegetable gardening, the season is like September and kind of ends in May. Whereas where I grew up in Pennsylvania, we wouldn't even start planting until March, April, May, you know, when the snow and the frost and the field dries out enough. So here, like September, October, that's when you really start your vegetable gardening. You know, another thing is just like the native Florida plant because our extreme conditions here, the the wind, the water, the flooding, the salt. So like having those resilient landscape plants in your yard is really important. Yeah, and knowing which ones are correct, you know, and right. for the light conditions. And exactly. like you said, the watering conditions because you want to put the ones that want more water or are getting more water together and then so on and so on. Yeah, grouping the plants together. And we have like the Florida-friendly landscaping plant guide. You know, you can find that online and even search um, by your zip code to see which plants are good then. Yeah. So we got a text message from somebody and they uh, have a question for Tia. I have one of the compost barrels that I received from taking the class. It's been great, but recently I've been getting opossums around my property. Mm-hmm. Are the opossums attracted to my bin and the contents in it? 
Uh, opossums are just like uh, kind of free for all. They like to eat old like fruits and vegetables and other food scraps. So, you know, whatever you're putting in your compost, like you said, you got the five bags of leaves. If, if you just keep a bag of leaves next door to your compost and make sure all the food waste is thoroughly covered up mm-hmm. or even like digging a little hole and putting your food waste in and then covering, that's the most important thing. That's actually, I have a, a giant uh, tree pot next to my compost and it's filled with leaves. And quite honestly, by the time I get down to the bottom, it's all soil mm-hmm. because it's composted itself, right, composting which is nice. I, also, I put the compost bin kind of close to the back door, which is where the kitchen oh, yeah. is. Yeah. But I also already had some little baby, like two foot tall papaya trees there. And I just put them like oh, the so we can compost feed from bin it? right there. Oh, yeah, so yeah be, that's the best. They'll be happy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. And uh, we got another email from our good friend Bubba. Uh-huh. And he wants to know, is it dangerous to use human Excrement? waste as compost? Ooh. Dangerous, yes. But it is possible, it's you know. It's doable. You, you <laughs> kind of get into the, into the weeds with this one. Yes. So the, the short answer is don't do that. Right. If you really want to know how to do it properly, you need to know about the time temperature function and make sure you heat it up to that um, degrees to kill any of the pathogens. Right. But that's not recommended for normal homeowner people. I I would uh, do a separate one. You know what I mean? Do an experimental one like that in a separate compost and do all those things that you just said and then do your regular vegetable uh, peelings and fruit peelings in a, in a separate one. That's what I would do because, mm-hmm. honestly, I do know people that do that. Yeah, I also have friends in Missouri, and they use five-gallon buckets, but they said it takes two years. Yes, I would say at least, but that's good that they are saying that. Yeah, and that goes with any type of carnivorous animal, like your dog waste, your cat waste. You don't want to put that in your or meat compost. Yeah. yeah, that needs to be treated separately. Right, right. Wow. <laughs> it's well, really a great question, well, quite we gotta, honestly. Well, we got we got to use things. That's right. And it's a great question yeah. because, you know, people, they get confused about what they can put in their compost. They think that they can put meat in it and dairy and cheese and stuff like that. And it's really not okay. What is that? What are the ingredients yeah. that you can and cannot well, put if, in? Well, if you're a beginner and you want to be really safe, then avoid all kind of animal dairy oil. You know, once you get more advanced with the composting and you know how to do it, you can, you know, put in... You know, like the Native American, they buried their fish right under the trees. So, you know, you just need to I treat it in a way. Yeah. As a fertilizer. So, like, generally, eggshells are pretty safe. Some people like toast them because there is a slight risk of salmonella. So, if you toast them or bake them or barbecue them or, you know, add them to vinegar or something to make them break down first then you can use that. I just put eggshells right in my compost pile. I do pile. too. Some people even say you have to take that uh, the stuff out of the center of the eggshell, the residue, but I never do. Yeah, I'm not that. That's uh, I'm like a That's lazy very composter. Precise, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so the other thing is like, well, do you want to use the compost immediately? Like, do you want to do a fast composting where you yeah. want to cook it and use it immediately? Or are you more like a lazy composter and your more big goal is to just like use all of your waste from your house, like working towards a zero waste household and compost that, but it will take a longer time. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm very lazy. I don't even turn it. I don't. At yeah. all. But by the end of the year, I have wonderful stuff that I can mm-hmm. top dress all my plants with. Right. And it's it fantastic. Anyway. Yeah. And, and that's why I have two. 
I have one that is uh, working itself, you know, after I've gotten it at least halfway full or maybe full, and then it works itself and I start throwing things into the other one. So that's what I think is a really good way to go. So, Tia, let's talk a little bit more about your vegetable class. What day did you yes. say it was? Um, so we're going to be doing a vegetable gardening class at the Extension Center. It's $5 per person on Thursday, February 15th from 10 to 11.30 a.m. Okay. And you can register on our Eventbrite. Do they ever fill up to where they can't, you know, it gets too many people? Yeah. How many people is the limit on that? Yeah, our room holds about 100 people. Oh, so wow. We That's have that great. Cap. But we try to make our classes, like, really cool, really fun. Mm-hmm. So we already have some of our Master Gardener volunteers who are starting seedlings, like the tomatoes and the peppers and then the cucumbers. We start in those little three-inch peat pots. Mm-hmm to give away at the class. So not only are you learning what to plant when, but you're kind of getting like a little starter vegetable kit. I, uh, those peat pots have given me trouble uh, because they dry out so fast. What's your key? Do you keep them in like a little uh, plate at the bottom to keep a little moisture going? Or what's the yeah, story on that? The peat pots, they are problematic because yeah. they, they dry out. They, you know, the peat kind of wicks the moisture and then they kind of biodegrade really quick but we just plant like cucumbers or squashes or pumpkins in those like things that you only need in the pot for like 10 days oh i see whereas like the tomatoes and stuff we start those like in a four cell or six cell flat and and then then bump them up to four inch pots yeah and the cucumbers and squash and pumpkins they don't want to be transplanted so when you have them in a, the peat you can yeah just it helps with them. the transplanting a little oh bit. they don't like their roots touched yeah so. i still rip off like the bottom of the pot yeah. or maybe the top yeah pop I, them up yeah mm-hmm. give them a little bit of extra break yeah i don't even grow cucumbers anymore. are you growing uh <laughs> too hard tia do you have vegetables at the extension office do you have a vegetable garden yeah. i know you have oh that's cool i didn't flowers. even think about that mm-hmm. yeah we have a little demonstration vegetable garden in the back and our whole extension office is kind of set up as a demonstration garden it's called like a discovery garden and then back to the native plant theme we just got a grant from the tampa bay estuary program to do native plant landscaping you know some of those bulletproof native plants like sea grape or like white buttonwood that that can take all that wind rain flooding drought salt and do educational classes on that topic so that brings me to this one question that I have written down. It's like, what can people do in their yard to help protect Tampa Bay? Because that sounds like what you just talked about. Yeah, well, the, the major things that are affecting the Tampa Bay is one, fertilizer. So yeah. you know about the fertilizer ban in the summer. We have the fertilizer ordinance. And the Hillsborough County has one. The city of Tampa has one. And they're basically the same. But the, the big premise here is no nitrogen or phosphorus. Like the three numbers on the ni- uh, the fertilizer bag is NPK. So nitrogen and phosphorus are the first two numbers. Don't apply that at all in the summer between June 1st and September 30th. You know, unfortunately, in the Sunday paper, they had a whole big uh, article about that. And they were saying that they didn't see that it made that much difference. And they were suggesting to remove the ban. Unbelievable. The ban is controversial, but it comes down to, do you want green lawns and green Tampa Bay? (laughs) Right. Or do you want clear Tampa Bay? And then not just that. I mean, what that algae does is it smothers the seagrass, which starves the manatee. Yeah, it's a compounding problem. Yeah. Wow. So you're talking about the the ban in our region, but like most of Florida, the ban is like you're not allowed to apply fertilizer within like 
if the forecast says it's going to rain in like the next like 48 or 72 hours. Oh, people have to pay attention to that? Yes. I never even thought about that. <laughs> Nobody's well, going to do for, that. For, our, for other counties. Because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm traveling around the whole country. Yeah, you are. Not the whole country. Well, but the, our, our the whole state. And yeah. I'm talking about native plants. And I always talk about how all those fertilizers get washed oh, away. Oh, very good, Kenny. I just uh, wrote an article for Mother Earth News about growing blueberries and blackberries. And it, and I interviewed the the farm, the Okifin, the farm at Okifinoki, which is, you know. Oh, the one you just went up Yeah, there. very south of Georgia. And they were saying their fertilizer is like 004 or 006, and I didn't realize you could buy a fertilizer with things missing. I didn't either. Right. So I guess they want to fulfill that knowledge bar for people that are looking for those three numbers. Mm -hmm. If they don't have but just one number, they won't understand what that calculation is. Usually the fertilizers, my understanding was that when it goes 00 and then a number, it's for acid-loving plants like azaleas or blueberries and blackberries. That's interesting. Well, the third number is potassium. So one, potassium is often lacking in our Florida soils. And two, potassium is like mobile. So it kind of moves around in the environment. Three, it doesn't hurt water quality. So potassium is important for flowering and fruiting. So like vegetables, also palm trees. You know how they get those yellow leaves? That's often from potassium. Oh, I thought that was manganese. It can be manganese too. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Potassium. Isn't, um, this is very controversial, uh, but isn't potassium in human urine? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And like bananas have high potassium too. And they love to have human urine on them. Yeah, it's good to pee on your banana plants. I, I said that in, uh, to someone up in Virginia. I said, yeah, I pee on my bananas. And they were like, wait a minute. It sounded, I didn't say plant. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make a really big difference, quite yeah. honestly. It really and, does. and one thing about the fertilizer ordinance, everybody should know about it. Like yes. not everybody knows about it in the no. first place. But edibles are exempt from it. So if you're growing fruit trees or vegetables, then you can use those. But you're not going to use a ton. Like Yeah, like a little bit at a time is a good. Right. Because that's what the, the whole thing is for lawns is really what most people are using them for. Right. And they do a severe broadcast. And a lot of those people have lawns right next to what bodies of water. Exactly. Right? And then the other thing that goes right alongside the fertilizer is the irrigation so if you fertilize and then you over-irrigate, then you're mm. just washing all that nutrient into the nearest water body. Wasting money right? as well. So, you know, we have the 2024 watering restrictions now where you can only water once a week. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's not a big deal, especially with all these rains we've been getting. Yeah, that's funny that we still have that ban uh, or that restriction uh, because we are getting so much rain. When do they measure the levels to see when that changes? Yeah, well, when they initiated the um, watering restrictions on December 1st, we were negative 13 inches. It was no rain for a long time. Right, like we had a very dry summer. But now, you know, we've gotten like an inch here, inch there. So they just monitor the water levels. But either way, like our landscapes are doing fine. Oh my gosh, yes. They don't need to be that much watered. Mm -mm. If if you overwater, you know, with which is a common source of like killing a plant when we get plant questions. Oh, well, you overwatered it. It got a fungal disease, you know, so cut back on the watering. Also, all those turf grass diseases, like take all root rot, that's often caused from overwatering. And a lot of times people will water at night and then it'll uh, hold over and get all the diseases brewing up, you know, all the powdery mildews and so on. And also I've, uh, I've noticed, and I'm, you know, I'm, wondered if you agree with this, uh, is that 
when you water things for short period of times, then the roots come up to the top and they don't go deep. Right. So once a week watering, you know, we say between a half an inch and three quarters of an inch. And you can measure that like with little tuna cans or something to see how much you're watering. Oh, that's a good idea to test it. Tia, does the extension office offer any advice on growing mushrooms? (laughs) On growing mushrooms. We have some, you know, blogs and articles about growing mushrooms. The the easiest kind is oyster mushrooms. Those are most delicious too. In like a little mushroom bag, you Mm -hmm. know, but there's other types, the shiitake that are usually grown in logs. Mm -hmm. And then there's some wild edible mushrooms that you can forage too. We have been trying to get a a forager (laughs) on here for so long and cannot find anybody that is doing that on a regular that will, I just can't find anybody. Okay, listeners, if you know somebody who forages safely for mushrooms, please give us... Give us a call. That would and be great. And also, I just uh, I just reviewed a book about foraging for mushrooms, but he's in the Carolinas. Yeah. He says there are old mushroom foragers and there are bold mushroom foragers, <laughs> but there are no old and bold mushroom <laughs> foragers. Yeah, that's that saying. Yeah, you can eat that mushroom, but it might just be one time. <laughs> All right, so we have about 10 minutes left of the show. You can inoculate mushroom blogs, though. I just wanted to say, you can inoculate them. So there's that. Um, Today is January 8th, and tonight, January 8th, 7 p.m., I'm going to be at the Manatee Rare Fruit Council meeting. It starts at 7. It's at Palma Sola Botanical Gardens. It's about an hour south of Tampa. And what's cool about it is that you can visit the fruit tree garden before the meeting. Oh, that's very nice. And you can walk around. I'll be giving a talk on Florida's carnivorous plants. And then afterwards, there is going to be a plant raffle and tasting table of rare fruits. And this is at Palma Sola Botanical Park, 9800 17th Avenue, Bradenton, Florida. Oh, that's not that far at all, Bradenton. And you can learn more about that by going to Manatee Rare Fruit Council. They have a website. They're also on Facebook and Instagram. That was really great. I'm excited. I wish I could go. I'd love to hear you on those things. Uh, I wanted to say something that just reminded me because of the zone changes. Then that zone's a little bit different, but I wanted, we had talked about this, so I want you to talk about, Tia, uh, the zone changing. Oh, yeah. Well, just a couple months ago, the USDA, you know, nationwide plant hardiness zone map has changed. And it affects us here in Tampa Bay. Um, Previously, all of Tampa was zone 9B. -hmm. And now the people who live, you know, plus or minus a couple miles away from the Tampa Bay are now in zone 10, which in layman's term, it just means it's not really going to freeze there and you can plant more tropical plants. And that means that uh, they're paying attention to uh, that things are getting hotter. Yep, that's the bottom line here. Things are getting hotter. They look at what were the freezes, the coldest days of the year for the last 10 years, and we're not getting those freezes like we used to right on the coastal areas. No, I I think it's been colder at this time of the year. It seems like it to me. That's why I was wondering, when do we get our cold? You know, I guess we'll have to wait. You're you're saying it's a little warmer than past years. Yes. Did I say it incorrectly? Yeah, I was. I was saying that. And And I just guess we'll have to wait because... It really does seem like I've used to put covers over things by this time. 
at least once. It would be great if we didn't have to. I know. I would love that. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, we haven't had any freezing temperatures um, to date this year, and um, we'll see if we do. Some years we don't get it, but what it means is you can plant more tropical fruit plants, like coconuts are zone 10, you know, things Mm -hmm. like star fruit that might have been kind of on the border before. And then things we used to be able to grow, like red bud trees or dogwood trees, kind of forget about it. Any of those ones that needed the cold. Because they got bumped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I know there's only two types of peaches that are made for here uh, because of that cold situation. But I don't know. Even with those, you struggle. I I wonder why people just try those hard things. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? It's like they work too hard to make it happen. On my little walk, I saw somebody plant maybe four 20-foot-tall coconut palms. And I was talking to somebody else, and they go, oh, yeah, we've been growing coconuts, you know, for a long time in St. Pete. But I go, yeah, but this is like inland Tampa. And I had one. uh, I'm I'm nervous for these people. (laughs) Well, I hope, I wish them well, but I I agree. It's it's really risky behavior. That many at one time, too. That's kind of funny. I did have one at a, right next door to a client's pool in South Tampa. I planted one and they got coconuts. Okay. But it was because of that. That microclimate. Exactly. Microclimate. And that's the thing. If Like I have a banana, a particular banana that's right next to my house and it's on the north side, but it's always protected next to another house. And I get fruit all year it's never a problem but it's a microclimate yeah so that's kind of what it's saying is like the tampa bay is creating a little warm bubble of a microclimate and anybody who's living around the tampa bay you can now plant tropical plants yeah well my my star fruit uh fruits all year i don't have the big push you know like a lot of people have like a zillion star fruit all at one time and then they're just giving them away like crazy mine is a real consistent uh, flowering and blooming and fruiting. Yeah, a little bit of a time. It's wonderful. I give them away all the time. Tia, you have a question from Matt in Tampa. He says, I started a small garden at my fire station in which I go every third day. This time of year, how often should I be watering um, the banana plants? And maybe also you could talk about fertilizing or putting compost around it. Yeah, so this yeah, time of it. year... Um, Hi, Matt, by the way, thanks for your call. Um, This time of year, we've been getting a lot of rain, like these one-inch rain events really can carry us over for a week or two. So I wouldn't water unless things are really looking dry. For like a week or two. We're good. There's little monitors for it, too. You can get a, a, a... water monitor and stick in the ground and see. Exactly. And in the winter, we even have a slogan, skip a week, because the plants are growing very slow. They're like dormant. They don't need so much water. We need to pay attention to the water in like April, (laughs) May, when it starts to get hot and things are growing and then we get a dry spell. That's where you got to pay attention to water. Yeah, that could be really detrimental now that you say that. If you get too much water, uh, which would be what you would think would be normal watering, it would be too much watering in the winter. Yeah, so don't water right now, but, you know, just um, look at your garden, see if there's any bare spots that you want to plant. Some Now is a great time for planting, mm-hmm. like trees or flowers. Um, I just planted some of those little Johnny Jump Ups. Like oh, those are wonderful. Violas. Those are edible, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a great little winter happy, like snapdragons are a good flower so plant cute. now. Snapdragons one of my favorites for around kids. You take their, the flower off and you pinch it and it mm-hmm. mouth opens, like uh-huh. a little uh, opening dragon's mouth. Should yeah. Matt be fertilizing the bananas? 
Uh, like January is kind of an off fertilizer month, but February is when things start to grow again. Oh, okay. Like think Valentine's Day. Uh, you Fertilizers can start for fertilizing like heavy feeders like bananas. Good to then. know. And then uh, we align fertilizer with the holidays. So like tax time, like April 15th, that's when you want to fertilize your lawn. Oh, well, I don't have to worry about that. Right, because the lawn's not quite growing We don't yet. want a lawn around here, y'all. You know, January, February, it's still kind of dormant. But once it starts kicking in like tax time, and you need to get that fertilizer in before the ban starts June 1st. Mm-hmm. <laughs> before the ban starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Tia, can you talk a little bit more about the current trends in the horticulture field? I think you mentioned like 2024 is going to be the year of native plants. Yeah, so native plants are in. Um, people are becoming more environmentally conscious and, you know, caring about the water quality. So the, the fertilizer, dialing in the fertilizer mm-hmm. and the irrigation for homeowners. Um, at our extension office, we do have an irrigation team who, if you're a heavy water user, they'll give you a free irrigation. They found the show. She's so yeah. lovely. Yeah, uh-huh. Heather yeah. and Will and Paula. Yeah. They're lovely. So, you know, like paying attention to these little things. Also, oak leaves, you know, they're falling right now. Break them up and put them into your landscape beds. So more like that closed loop landscape where you're using all the stuff in your yard, composting it. You know, if if you don't think it looks good, just buy a couple bags of pine bark mulch to sprinkle on top. You know, it's funny because now we see those bags. I think you said you grabbed a bag and that's what you do. You see people have already fixed it up for you. You know, they've raked their leaves up and put it in a bag. All you got to do is pick it up. I always do pay attention though. If it's a real pristine landscape, they might be spraying a lot of poisons. So I don't pick it up from their yards. Yeah, so that's you can be mindful of that. Yeah, yeah that whole cool. ecological landscaping concept, too, where you're using yes. less pesticides and attracting the beneficial insects with the flowers. Yes, I love that. Very good. Any All right, more so, questions? Or? Uh, we're good for, we're, we're out of time, Annie. Oh, my gosh. It, so, it flies by. Yeah, so today we had Tia Silvesi, and she's with the uh, Master Gardening Program at UFIFAS. So, uh, Tia, before we end, we just have a minute left. Can you talk to us about the website or address or where they can find more about the events? Yeah, sure. We're all over online, Hillsborough County Extension, and our office is in Sefner, Florida. You can stop by our office. We're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to um, 5 p.m. We're also online. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. All the stuff. So, you know, check us out there. We post some of our stuff on YouTube, Hillsborough County Extension Service. You have a Perfect. phone number? Um, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> they Look can it go up. to the website. <laughs> but if somebody's in a different county, they can go to their extension office That's as well. That's true. That's yeah, exactly every right. county has an extension office. Yeah. yeah. Thank and- you, Irene, for volunteering with us this week. And thank you, Greg, for working the boards. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org. And stay tuned. In the next hour, you will hear WMNF Community Speaks with Mobili. Yes. And you want to tell week. them? Yeah. Next week, uh, tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. We'll have Danny Hall. She was just on here a few weeks ago, but we're going to be talking about sustainable living on their homestead in their urban neighborhood. Follow our Facebook page on Sustainable Living, WMNF, to stay in the loop. Also, listen to our past shows to go to Listen On Demand on WMNF.org. And this is WMNF Tampa. Bye, everyone. <laughs>